I want to begin by first uh, reading our text, and then after we can walk through it together, going verse by verse. So let's jump right into it. We are in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Here now is the word of the living and true God. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now I'm sure if I was to... Um, uh, survey all of you here and and asked you how does your family celebrate Christmas um, that I would get a quite a variety of um, different answers and not necessarily any of them um, wrong um, there may be some of those uh, some of you who have a uh, a big Christmas tree and it's covered with the different lights and tinsels and um, homemade ornaments and their presents around it for the kids and others of you are maybe a little bit simpler and and uh, in your celebration you might have a small tree or maybe no tree at all and while your kids are all growing up um, you guys still gather together at this time of year and have a Christmas um, dinner together um, some families get dressed up um, some families are barely dressed at all um, some families travel out of town and um, go to uh, a parent's house or to an in-laws. Others remain home and, and their extended family comes and, and sees them. But despite these differences in Christmas traditions, there nevertheless needs to be some um, common denominators that must be true for every Christian family that celebrates Christmas. Um, these are timeless truths for every home that no matter where you are or who you are or how old you are. These are just some common threads that should run through every Christmas celebration. And I want to highlight some of these as I see a number of them in our verses that we just looked at today. Um, but before I do, I just want to set the context um, quickly of where we are in the biblical account. Um, the years between five or four 
BC and a young couple, Joseph and, and Mary, who are engaged to one another, are traveling, traveling from Galilee um, down to Bethlehem, the city of David, and they are to register for a census required by Caesar Augustus. And as they come into the city, which is called Bethlehem, um, they run into a problem. Uh, Mary, who is with child and is about to give birth, um, and with this overcrowding that's been brought on by the census, um, verse 7 says there was no room for them in the end. Just saying the song, no room. And so as a result, Joseph and Mary, having no place to go, find themselves having to go probably behind the inn to where the animals were kept that the guests who rode in on would, would, would leave them. And so this then becomes the scene of the very first Christmas, if you will, it's where Mary gives birth to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do is draw out some principles from Christmas before man has had any opportunity to bring in his traditions and um, his additions to the Christmas story. Um, this is as pure as it gets. Um, this is Christmas in its original form before anything that could be added in subsequent centuries. Um, you'll notice on the back of your bulletin there is eight timeless principles that should always govern any true celebration of Christmas. And the first one that we notice is in verses 8 through 12 is the proclamation. The proclamation, and this is where every Christmas celebration must always begin with the proclamation of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, right? That's what it's all about. It's all about Christ. And so we read in verse 8, and in the same region, and that means right outside of Bethlehem, out in the field, this, this same region, there were some shepherds. And let's just stop right there for a moment, because this should really immediately capture our attention, because there will be a proclamation made to these shepherds. Now, we might have expected that such an important announcement uh, would have been made to the religious establishment of the time, in Jerusalem, we would expect that this proclamation was made to the scribes or to the Pharisees or to the priests or even to the high priests or the Sanhedrin, to those who sit up top the religious superstructure of the day. We would have expected this to take place in Jerusalem, not in Bethlehem, much less in the region outside of Bethlehem. But this proclamation is made to shepherds. And it's hard for us to understand today just how unusual this is because we're so far removed from the original scene and story. But shepherds would have been the recipients of this world-changing proclamation. The fact that they are should actually really encourage all of us here today that this message is going out to shepherds um, because shepherds were near the, the bottom of the social ladder of the time. Shepherds were considered uneducated, unsophisticated outcasts who lived with animals and who smelt like animals. In fact, shepherds were considered to be of such low repute, they weren't even allowed to testify in a court of law as a witness. And because um, sheep were required to care for seven days a week to watch these flocks, shepherds were unable to fully comply with man-made Sabbath traditions developed by the Pharisees. And so as a result, they were viewed as being in continual violation of the religious laws and therefore 
considered ceremonially unclean and unfit for worship in the temple. And so this is a very remarkable thing that the proclamation is being made to those who are the, the least and the last. And the same is true for the gospel of Jesus Christ. For as you find yourself here today, you may very well feel like you are also not a part of the religious establishment. And maybe you feel a little bit like a spiritual tumbleweed just being blown about, not being um, as well taught on the word as maybe you would like. Well, you're exactly what the Lord was looking for when he made this proclamation. Most of us here today are not Rhodes Scholars. We are not Harvard grads. Most of us don't find ourselves in the upper echelon of society. But the Bible says God has hidden it from the wise and the prudent and has revealed it unto babes, unto shepherds like you and I. And so here in this region, right outside of Bethlehem, there were some shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And it's in that setting that something very unexpected happened. Verse 9, And an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to them. And without any warning, they're out there by themselves with their flocks, suddenly stood an angel of the Lord that had been dispatched from the throne of heaven above and as he has descended down into this world with pinpoint accuracy to where these shepherds were and as they did we read and the glory of the lord shone around them they were in the pitch black dark imagine this when suddenly it lights up as if you were staring directly at the sun of noonday and this is the heavenly brightness of the the glory of the lord that is attending to these angels as they carry out this commission this angel who had been in the presence of the lord jesus christ and who had surrounded the throne of grace is now dispatched down to make this glorious announcement what an assignment what a privilege and so we read at the end of verse 9 these shepherds you can predict this were filled with great fear and in the original language it actually says they feared with great fear and it's no wonder as this supernatural angelic being, not the little 15-month-old baby, stuffed babies with the wings you see from the arts, but this towering angel of the Lord standing over them with this blinding light, the glory of the Lord shone. And then in verse 10, the, in, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy this word for good news is the same root word that is used for the gospel the gospel of jesus christ so you see the shepherds did not need to fear the angel of the lord for he had come bearing good news the greatest news this is the greatest news and this message was not one of judgment but rather that the savior that the father had sent his son to be the savior of the world and no one here today has ever heard any news better than this. This is the greatest news. And so notice what else the angel declares. And great joy 
that will be for all the people. Now the shepherds must have loved hearing that because they are now included with everyone else. Whatever spiritual blessings that had been bestowed to this point, that they had always been the odd men out, that they had been the ones that were passed over, that they had always been the ones on the outside, now this announcement says that the good news is for all people, all kinds of people. In verse 11, the angel now gives them some details of the person of this good news. He says, for unto you, and notice, unto you, there's a personal invitation in this, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Here we see the angel gives a threefold description of this newborn child. He is number one, a Savior. He is number two, the Christ. And he is number three, the Lord. And I love all three of these names as I know you do as well. First is the description of Jesus as Savior. For this is the reason he was born. For as Matthew 1.21 says, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the good news of the gospel. For as Romans 3.23 says, For all have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all guilty of breaking God's holy and righteous law, and therefore we are in great danger of judgment and condemnation before a holy and just God. But God has done something incredible to save sinners. He has sent a Savior. A Savior, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And that Son came into our world and has taken on flesh and was in all points tempted as we are, yet was without sin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. A life that we could have never lived. And then he went to the cross at Calvary and gave his life as a ransom for many. So that whoever believes in him, whosoever believes in him, shall not perish but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so Jesus has come into our world to be a savior. That's number one. That's his saving name. Second is his name Christ, Christos in the Greek. It's the Old Testament counterpart to Messiah as they both mean the anointed one. He is the long-awaited promised one who is worthy of exaltation and honor and praise. Christ is the King of kings who will one day return to the earth. He will sit on David's throne where he will reign, Scripture says, forever. And of this kingdom there will be no end. And then third is his sovereign name, Lord. It's kurios in the Greek, which means ruler or master. And in a human sense, it is a term of respect or esteem for someone. I think the English probably might still use it in a way. But in this context, Lord is no mere elevated human designation. It is a divine title. To say that this child is Lord is to say that he is God in the flesh. 
And so, this is an incredible proclamation as the angel announces this to these lowly shepherds that today in the city of David, a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. And then in verse 12, the angel says, this will be a sign for you. And you will find a baby wrapped in swollen cloths and lying in a manger. This is the extraordinary providence of God. That God has every last detail of the entrance of Christ into this world so planned out and so detailed that now the angel declares it with a specific sign. This is how the shepherds will know it's the Savior who is Christ the Lord as they will find a baby who's just been born in the city of David, Bethlehem, and the sign will be he'll be wrapped in swollen cloths lying in a manger. Not something typical that moms would do. So this is the proclamation that we must begin our celebration of Christmas with. This is a time for us to proclaim Christ. This is a time for us to declare that God's Son has come into the world to be a Savior who is the Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth. And there will be many opportunities that God will give us this Christmas to point to His beloved Son. Who has had an opportunity this Christmas? All hands should be raised somewhere. Whether you're traveling to be with your family or loved ones, come to see you. This is the platform for us to speak about Christ just as the angels did. And as it was so long ago, it must be fundamentally true in our celebration of Christmas. And though we are not angels, we've been also commissioned by God to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So this is where every celebration of Christmas must begin. Number one, proclaiming Christ. Number two, praising God. Praising God. And as we look at verse 13, this is what we see. While the angel was speaking to the shepherds, something even more amazing takes place. Luke writes, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. Now this word for host is a, is a military term in it, and it speaks of a, a vast army. All right? And where this one angel began the proclamation, suddenly there's an untold vast multitude of angels like a heavenly army that has descended upon this field outside of Bethlehem. Evidently, one angel can bring the news, but it does not suffice the kingdom of God for one angel to respond to this news. And so God must send a vast army. Notice what happens in verse 14. As this multitude of heavenly hosts were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. They cannot contain themselves as they are extolling the greatness of God and magnifying the glory of God. Their every word is God-centered. Their every thought is God-exalting. And as they stand here praising God, they provide for us what should be the common thread through our 
Christmas celebration, the constant exaltation of the greatness of God, specifically in providing His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice again what these heavenly hosts said in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. And that is just another way of saying praise to God in the heavens above and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now that last designation with whom he is pleased signifies to us that God is not pleased with all men. But there are those whom God is pleased and they are those whom have entered into this peace that God has offered. And this peace is in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the prince of peace. Those who know Christ have entered into this peace. Those who do not know Christ do not know this peace. Now there's one more thing I've got to point out to you before we move on here. By chance you have an old King James Bible the end of verse 14 reads like this. On earth, peace, goodwill toward men. You might remember it from an old Christmas carol, actually. Now, virtually all the modern translations um, do not agree with this translation, as it is actually not an accurate translation, and I tend to agree with them. For example, if you have an NIV, you're going to read, On earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. There's a distinction. The New American says, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. A distinction. The ESV. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The point is, is that even though God's offer of peace goes out to all men, only those who are God's children will receive him as Lord, will believe in him as Savior, will experience the true peace of Christ that he brings. Every one of us here today needs this peace. And this peace can only be found in Christ alone. And we need to know there's two types of peace. There's the objective peace and the subjective peace, and we need both of them. Objective peace is peace with God. Subjective peace is the peace of God. It's the peace that God brings to us. Peace with God um, defines my relationship with him while the peace of God is the peace that surpasses all understanding. It's the peace that God gives that um, settles my heart in the midst of the storm because my relationship is right with God. There can be no subjective peace until there's first objective peace. There can never be the peace of God until there's first peace with God. And so the picture is this one of a vast army of angels who are praising God for he has sent his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this should describe our celebration of Christmas as we gather together with our families and we praise God for this great thing he has done. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory up, peace down. Well, that takes us to Number three, as we celebrate Christmas, there must be a prioritizing of Christ. Not only praising God, but prioritizing Christ. And we see this in verse 15. That as soon as the, the angels returned to heaven, these shepherds just drop everything. And they must go and find this babe that's in the manger. There is nothing more important in their lives than this. This is now 
front and center, and so it must be in our lives also, as Christ must be first place in everything that we do. Notice verse 15. It says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Christ now has the place of preeminence in their lives as they will now drop everything else and go straight to be where Christ is. They must first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trust that everything else will be added unto them. And when we talk about celebrating Christmas, we must also first seek the kingdom of God. Notice verse 15 again, and what the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. They must have a, a personal, first-hand experience. It's not enough for them just to be told about it. It's not enough for them just to hear about this great thing. No, they must take their own steps of faith, and they must go and experience and see this for themselves. This must become real in their lives, and so it must be with us at Christmas. How many people celebrate Christmas and yet they do not know the Christ of Christmas? How many people celebrate Christmas and yet Christ is not real in their hearts? How strange that is to go through all the outward activities but never to have the internal reality of Christ, never to know Christ and to experience His mercy and grace. And these shepherds stand out as an example to every one of us here today of prioritizing Christ. We must know him for ourselves. No second-hand religion here. No second-hand report will suffice. I must see it and I must know this in my own heart. That takes us to number four, pursuing Christ. Pursuing Christ. Notice what it says in verse 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. After receiving this glorious proclamation from the angels, these shepherds didn't shuffle to Bethlehem. They didn't take the long way around. No, they made a beeline for this manger. Nothing else matters. They must now pursue Christ. They went with haste straight to Christ. They must see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to them. And when it says they found Mary and Joseph and the babe, this word implies that they were searching for them. They were checking in in each, every manger behind the inn. They did not have a star to lead them as the Magi would in Matthew chapter 2. No, this is a, a hands-on mission, and they will not stop, and they will not rest until they have found the Christ. And beloved, this must be the attitude within our hearts as well, this fervency for Christ. Notice what else it says in verse 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Uh, just as the angel said. Just as the angel said, this is the sign, the babe lying in the manger. Verse 7 told us there was no room for them in the inn, and so they laid them in a manger. The manger is in the stable where the animals are kept, and it's a feeding trough for the animals. It's not a palace. It's not even a bassinet. It's a manger. This is as lowly as it gets. 
And all of this is intentional by God. He could have had his son born in a palace. He could have had his son born into prestige and power. But he had his son born in a manger. Because this was the spiritual reality of what was taking place in our Lord's life. He who was rich became poor so that we who are poor might become rich. It speaks of this lowly position our Lord took in his humiliation as he put aside his glory. And while he assumed the lowly posture of a bondservant as he is born into this world. Through the incarnation, Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not count his equality with God as a thing to be grasped or, or held onto. He let go. Rather, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so we see this lowliness and humility in verse 16 as they find this child not in a palace, but in a manger. And as we pursue Christ, let us also be found with this lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of us look out not only for his own interest, but for the interest of others. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. It takes us to number 5, professing Christ. Every Christmas must involve professing Christ. And in verse 17, that's what the shepherds do. They, they profess Jesus Christ with whom they do not know. Notice verse 17. This is amazing. And when they saw it, saw the sign, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So when it says, they made known the saying that had been told to them. That's referring back to the proclamation that they had heard from the angels concerning this child. And so now they are professing what they've been told. They are witnesses. They are giving a testimony. And don't forget who they are. These are the uneducated, the lowly, the despised shepherds. They haven't attended any evangelism conferences. They don't have the newest and greatest study books. They don't know, as far as the academic world, how it is that they're supposed to tell others about Christ. No, all they know what to do is to share the truth about what God has told them. And that is what they do here. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And again, I will say there is no better time of year for us to testify of Christ than at Christmas, regardless of the attempts to take the Christ out of Christmas and to dummy it down into happy holidays and season's greetings. Nevertheless, there is still such a platform for us to profess Christ. Look around. And that's what these shepherds are doing. And they are effective at this as they are faithful. Notice, number six, perplexed by Christ. Perplexed by Christ. Those who are there cannot get their minds around all of this. They are perplexed by this news. Notice what it says in verse 18. And all who heard it. Now, just stop right there. 
Oh, I skipped the verse. All who heard it. That word all tells us there were others there. There may have been the caretakers for the animals. There may have been other travelers who, like them, there was no room for them in the inn. And so they too had to share a, a stall next to this one. We don't know who they are, but obviously the word all states that there were others there as well. And so all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. There was a reality about the way that these shepherds spoke that was convincing to whoever else was there. They believe this. They have seen this. They have heard this. This is real in their life. And as they communicate this, it's so convincing that all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And this word, wondered, means to be astonished, amazed, to be awestruck. We would have been, and we should still be so. That God would come down out of heaven, take on flesh, and to be born in a manger like this. That this is the Savior of the world. The only hope for all mankind. What an astonishing story. That the Son of God became the Son of Man. That the King of kings and Lord of lords would become a lowly bond servant. That he would be born to die in order to save his people from his sins. As those there that day heard this, there was a sense of wonder that came over them. And we must also have this sense of wonder. I fear too many in the church today have fit Christ into such a small box. They got it all figured out. If you were to just stand back and behold the height and depth and breadth and length of the eternal Son of God who entered into this world and became flesh for us in order to die, this should move your hearts. This surpasses all comprehension. Great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. And so it was in this first celebration of Christmas. For where there is no wonder, there is no worship. Where there is no wonder, there's only cold, dead, clinical orthodoxy. Where there is no wonder, there is lukewarmness in the church. Where there is no wonder, there is only yawning at the preacher. Where there is no wonder, there's only the tapping of the watch. The first Christmas took place in a manger, and yet they were filled with wonder. And astonished and amazed, and they were overwhelmed with the profundity of what was being said. That brings us to number seven, and prizing Christ. Prizing Christ. Notice what it says in verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. 
Mary treasured all these things. She wasn't bored. She wasn't yawning. She wasn't having to prop herself up in her seat. She's probably been up all through the night delivering this child, having gone down to the valley of the shadow of death. If anyone should have dozed off, it should have been Mary. But when Mary heard this, her heart was like a treasure chest. And every word of truth that she heard spoken about her son has been stored up in her heart. She considered these things valuable, priceless, precious. She prized these truths about Christ and pondered them in her heart. To truly celebrate Christmas where it's more than just these gifts and running around and meals and tinsel. There must be a treasuring up and a cherishing of these truths about who Christ is. Nothing in this world should attract your soul more than Jesus Christ. For in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and understanding we've read in Colossians 2.3. Set your mind on the things above not on the things of this earth, Colossians 3, 2. Do you prize the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you adore him? Lastly, we close with number eight, glorifying and praising God. We began with praising God, and now we're ending with praising God. In verse 20, we read, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Notice the shepherds went back to their duties. They went back to their responsibilities. They went back to their callings. And, you know, I'm sure they would have loved to have stayed and, and would have been, loved to have been like Peter at the Mount of Transfiguration and said, let's just build three tabernacles and just live for here forever, Lord. But that's not the reality. That's not life. We don't get a free pass like that. We have to go back to work back to school, back to being a mom, back to our responsibilities at home. And the shepherds went back to the fields, back to the sheep, back to the stench, back to their no-name lowliness, back to the darkness of night, back to that rough, rugged, raw existence of life which they had been called to. But notice... How they did this is how we know that this was real in their lives. This is the test. This is the test that marks them from false believers. There's been something breathed into their life by God in this experience that has captured their lives. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. Why? For all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I don't know what you're going back to today. Some of you are going back to the dull job. Some of you are going back to no job. Some of you are going back to that nagging wife, that sorry husband. Some of you are going back to very difficult and trying circumstances. But as we go back, we are going back praising and glorifying God, who is over it all, who has intervened into our affairs in human history, and who has brought to us a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And despite other things in your life that you have prayed would be different, nevertheless, what really matters is that your heart is now right with God. That we have the peace with God so we can enjoy the peace of God. 
this Christmas, if your heart is not all about Christ and Christ is not first in your life, as Don just said, receive that gift. Receive it. Receive His mercy. Receive His grace as you call upon the Lord and seek the Lord. Seek the Lord at Calvary where He died to take away your sins. This is the Christ of Christmas. Don't stay at the manger. Go to the cross. Turn, repent from your sins, and turn to Christ. Put your faith and trust in Him today. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Amen.